word. We just say those words, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You are and you will be. We just thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for revealing yourself to us that we can know you like we sung, Lord, as our friend, Lord, that you are holy, Lord, and you came and you made a way for us to be holy through Jesus and through the grace that we can receive through his work on the cross for dying and rising. We just thank you so much for that, Lord. We ask that you would come and speak to us through the word this morning. Have your way in this service, and we give you the glory in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you go and have your, take your seats? Wow. Let's go to our Lord in prayer once again. Holy Father, we are in awe of who you are. We are so thankful to be able to worship in your presence. We know we don't worship you just in song, but we are called to worship you with our lives. Lord, help us to be faithful to you, to be led by the power of your Spirit, to continue to walk in faith. Father, we thank you that you continue to pour your grace on us as we sin so often and struggle daily. We are broken. We need your guidance, Father, this morning. I ask as we dive into your word, Father, that your Spirit would work mightily on all our hearts and that we would be faithful to you and that you would convict us, encourage us, challenge us and help us to be the people you call us to be, a city on a hill. Father, we love you. We praise you and it's through Christ's name. Amen. What if I told you the way to win is to lose? What if I told you to live means you must actually die? What if I told you to lead well means you actually learn how to follow? What if I told you that those who try to be first will end up always being last? What if I told you to find God means you have to lose yourself? What if I told you that the way to become wealthy means you must spend everything you have and go into debt? Wait a minute, scratch that last one. That's not actually the Bible. That's actually what our government teaches. But nonetheless, this morning we start afresh as Casey gave us some great background information on our new sermon series last week as we say goodbye to Philippians. But... We hold on to the great truths that we have learned in this book. So let me see a show of hands of how many of you had heard some teachings on the Sermon on the Mount lately. Okay, a few of you. I must say the Christian church today has widely ignored Jesus' teachings on this sermon. There are many reasons for this, but the main reason is it because it opposes our politically correct culture that we live in, where catering to people is the norm in many churches instead of being faithful to God. 
And as pastors, we are called to preach the whole counsel of God's word, not just the sections that are positive, palatable, and non-threatening. It is ironic to me because we want to follow the Constitution to a T, which we should, but when it comes to God's word, it is often mishandled, misrepresented, and misguided, but you know what? It's okay because we don't want to offend anybody or be controversial. That is honestly like going to buy a house, but telling the realtor, I only want to know the positive aspects of the house. Please don't tell me if the house has any problems. Please don't tell me if the roof is falling apart or the foundation is bad. Please let me keep my perfect image of the house that I'm looking at. I don't want to know the whole truth. I only want to know the truth that I want to hear. Some of you are looking at me like I have a third eye because you know that is quite absurd. Yet, this is what churches are doing all across America today. They constantly talk about the positive or the encouraging aspects of Scripture and they leave out anything that sounds tough, controversial, or remotely hard to swallow. The church is called to be faithful to God. We are supposed to be a city on a hill a light in a crooked and perverse and sinful generation. That means we teach all of God's word. We teach every word that is found in Scripture. That's what we're called to do as a church. Listen, when we face God on judgment, we aren't facing the God of our making. We are facing the God that we see in the word of God. The Bible The one true God who is grace, who is love, who is mercy, who is patient is also a holy, sovereign, and a God who has a disdain for sin. And evidence that we are being faithful to God is found in truth number one. Truth number one says citizens of Christ continue to grow. Truth number one, citizens of Christ continue to grow. The Sermon on the Mount shows us that kingdom citizens continue to mature in their faith in Christ. That means we look different today than we looked yesterday. Let me ask you a question. If there was a yardstick to measure your spiritual growth and you could record all the past, Would you be taller this year than last, spiritually? Brothers and sisters, disciples of Christ, mature, develop, grow, look more like their Savior. Do we love Christ more today than we did yesterday? Do we have more of a hate for sin today than we did yesterday? Yesterday, is our view of God growing, expanding, enlarging today than it was yesterday? These are not abstract questions I'm asking, but questions that we should have evidence for from our lives. So let's jump into the Sermon on the Mount this morning, which starts with the Beatitudes, which are a mirror, a progression of what a mature Christian looks like. These qualities or characteristics called the Beatitudes build on one another. 
For example, no one will mourn unless they are first poor in spirit. Or no one will hunger and thirst for righteousness unless they are first humble and meek. There is an order, a method, a system, how we develop as Christians. And we see this process played out in the Beatitudes. Jesus shows us what we should look like as the Holy Spirit transforms us from the inside out. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew 5, verse 3. And if you remember last week, Casey covered the rest of Matthew. So this week, I'm going to cover one verse. And it's verse 3. So Matthew 5, verse 3, where we're going to unleash the first beatitude. And Jesus says this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The word for blessed here can be translated as happy, but happy does not give us the full meaning as it would be better defined as deep abiding happiness. Deep abiding happiness. John MacArthur says, Jesus is in the happiness business. Jesus is in the happiness business. So truth number two this morning is citizens of Christ are happy. Citizens of Christ are happy. God wants us to be happy and full of joy. Let me ask you, parents, are you happy when your children are enjoying life? Do you find pleasure in that? Likewise, God wants us to be people who walk through life with a deep, residing joy that looks very different than what the world knows. But you may ask, why are these people or these these, uh, children of God happy or blessed? Is it because they have the most toys? Or happy are those who have the largest bank accounts? Or happy are those who travel the world? Or happy are those who have the most friends? Or happy are those who are the higher achievers? Or happy are those who are physically healthy? This is what the world says brings happiness. Does Jesus agree with the world's standards of happiness? Often the world also says that happy are those who have circumstances going their way. But in reality, how much control do we have over our circumstances? For example, I find out tomorrow that I have cancer. Or I learn that our new baby has a life-threatening disease. Or a close friend passes away. Or someone breaks into my house. Or I get into a car accident. The point, the circumstances will continue to come. And the storms in our life will continue to rage. This perspective places me at the mercy of my circumstances. So Christ obviously wasn't equating our happiness to good or bad circumstances, then you may be wondering why are children of God happy? Why are they happy? Well, it comes from the fact that they have God's favor. God blesses his children. He continues to favor those that are his. Turn with me to Psalm 512. Psalm 512.
And David says this, For surely, O Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. Let me read that to you again. For surely, O Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. It's almost this picture of God has almost like a force field around his children where he protects and he takes care of them. He doesn't let anything happen to them that is not under, out of his control. If you are a follower of Christ, let me ask you, if you are reveling in the fact that you have God's favor this morning, Do you wake up thanking God for his love, his grace, his patience, his protection, and his blessings that are continued to be poured on you? Or are you taking God's favor for granted this morning? But let's jump back into Matthew 5.3, the first beatitude. Matthew 5.3, where Jesus says, Blessed are the poor. In spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And some of you are probably thinking, wow, that really sounds interesting. That really sounds interesting. I bet, Jesus, it's really deep. It's so deep, Jesus, that I don't think I have a clue what it actually is talking about. It reminds me of my three semesters of Greek class where I was going to be able to read and write ancient Greek fluently so I could become a theologian. But after three semesters of Greek, I studied, I studied, and I studied some more. I mean, I studied so much that in my dreams, I started speaking Greek. But at the end of the day, church, it was still all very Greek to me. It really was. I still had the hardest time with Greek, I'm honestly. But anyway, that's another sermon in itself. But in reality, when I talk to people about what does Jesus mean when he's talking about those who are poor in spirit, I get the similar looks, the question like, I have no idea what you're talking about right now. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Because the world says, blessed are the self-reliant, or blessed are those who trust in themselves, or blessed are the self-confident, or blessed are the self-made people. Blessed are those who have picked themselves up by their own bootstraps and made a life for themselves, or a good life for themselves. Amen? This reminds me of the show Biggest Loser. I don't know how many of you have seen the show Biggest Loser. I don't even know if it's still on TV anymore. But it was about helping those who have given up on life to chase after their dreams. Once again, the people who participated were quite obese and not going anywhere in life. They would get a personal trainer and begin to exercise daily. They were pushed to the limits. By the end of the show, they were in tip-top shape running marathons, doing a thousand sit-ups and push-ups, eating roots and dirt for their diet. I mean, these people were literally woke from the dead and ready to conquer the world. So again, these people begin the show with what we call very low self-esteem, thinking, I am worthless I can't do anything. I'm a failure. I'm better off dead. I'm nothing. To the end of the show where they now think, I can do anything. I am great. I am a winner. I am special. I can conquer the world. And now they're full of what we call high self-esteem. 
And many Christians walk away from that show thinking, wow, what a transformation these people have went through. But I will tell you this, that there wasn't a transformation at all in those people's lives. They started out consumed with themselves and they ended consumed with themselves. Low or high self-esteem is still focused, consumed, controlled by the self. A person who thinks high of themselves does not give God any more glory than those that think bad of themselves. The problem with all of us as we struggle with self. We all start out before we follow Christ consumed with self, whether high or low self-esteem. And our culture is crazy about it. But Jesus has the cure. Jesus has the cure. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Or God's word translation says, blessed are those who recognize they are spiritually helpless. Blessed are those who recognize they are spiritually helpless. So truth number three, citizens of Christ give up on self. Citizens of Christ give up on self. This person is done with self altogether. Self is reigned supreme. It has gotten all the accolades, all the attention. Our lives have been wrapped up in, centered on, focused, lived out for self. Turn with me to Matthew 16, 24, and 25. That's Matthew 16, 24, and 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Jesus is saying that those that are tired of depending on themselves, those that are tired and trusting in their own ways, they see self as the problem. As Christ says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. We finally understand Jesus' words. The scales come off our eyes. Our sinful nature, the flesh, or the self has been our biggest problem. It has reigned supreme in our lives. And we turn from self and we turn in full submission to Christ. Turn with me to Proverbs 28, 26. Proverbs 28, 26. We're going to read the first half. Of Proverbs 28, 26. And it says this. He who trusts in himself is a fool. He who trusts in himself is a fool. Or let's go back some pages to Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. That's Proverbs 3. Five through seven. The famous words from King Solomon. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will make your paths 
straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Are we trusting in our own understanding this morning? If so, Scripture says that we are fools. We are fools. We turn to God in under dependence because we recognize our need for Him. So Matthew 5.3, the first beatitude, could be said this way. Happy are those who know they are spiritually helpless, hopeless, and useless, and turn to God in desperation. This is where we should be. Happy are those who know they're spiritually helpless, hopeless, and useless, and turn to God in desperation. Do we see ourselves as nothing this morning without Christ? We are useless, we are lost, and we are nothing without Christ. Truth number four. Citizens of Christ depend on him. Truth number four, citizens of Christ depend on him. Poor in spirit or spiritually helpless is where the Christian life begins. Dependence, trust, desperation for Christ is essential for our walk. We don't graduate from poverty of spirit or being spiritually helpless. This is a state that we are called to live in as Christians. Because we understand we are truly helpless without the Holy Spirit working in us. We depend on His strength, His love, His grace, His mercy, His holiness, His Spirit working mightily in our lives. And last week, a lot of you know that we were blessed to have a little newborn named baby Joby. As the birth was very smooth and we were very blessed. Thank you for all the prayers and cards and everything. But I will say, two hours later was quite scary because my wife started feeling sick to her stomach. And she started saying things like, I'm, I'm cold, hon. So the nurse got her some extra blankets. I think it was seven to be exact. But she started shaking all the more. And I was thinking she's probably sweating to death, but she was actually still shaking and her jaws were chattering profusely, and she asked me to lay beside her to try to warm her up. It wasn't helping. I began to pray. Then she stopped shaking and started looking off into space at peace. And I'm thinking, great, she's doing better. Looks like she's doing better. Until she said, I think I'm dying. <laughs> and then the nurse started saying things like, Jamie, stay with us. Jamie, can you hear me? Jamie, hold on. Her blood pressure dropped from 100 to 80. Another nurse came in and started working on her. The nurse finally figured out that my wife was experiencing postpartum hemorrhaging, which means she was losing a lot of blood fast. But thank goodness, thanks to God and, the, and God working through the nurses, they stabilized her. But I will tell you, it was quite a scary 20 minutes and through this process, I will tell you, I felt quite helpless. Quite poverty in my own abilities to do anything. I prayed and I prayed and I was desperate for God to intervene. I lacked the ability to help her. I didn't know what the problem was. I didn't know how to fix her. 
And let me say this, we are no different spiritually. We are no different spiritually. We need to continue to depend on Christ. We don't start our our walk with Christ and then we work in our own strength after that. We got to continue to depend on Christ for our strength. We are poor in spirit, church. We are poor in spirit. The only ability and power that we have is the Holy Spirit changing us and working in us. We are helpless. We can do nothing. And Jesus says, blessed or happy are the poor in spirit. He says this is when we're most happy, brothers and sisters, when we're actually walking in full dependence on him. Let me share a few quotes from godly men of the past that talked about being poor in spirit. Martin Lloyd-Jones A great theologian, pastor, preacher said this, There is no one in the kingdom of God who is not poor in spirit. It is the fundamental characteristic of the Christian and of the citizen of the kingdom of heaven. All other characteristics, in a sense, are a result of this one. Charles Spurgeon, the great prince of preachers, said this, The question in heaven's kingdom is not, are you a peer, but are you poor in spirit? Those who are of no count in their own eyes are of the blood royal of the universe. Or J.C. Riles, the great man of God, said this, Humility is the very first letter in the Christian alphabet. We must begin low if we want to build high. These quotes remind us that poor in spirit is the beginning of what being a citizen of Christ looks like. The foundation of following Christ is being poor in spirit. Are we poor in spirit this morning? Are we poor in spirit as brothers and sisters in Christ? Do we recognize that we are spiritually bankrupt without Christ? Blessed are those who are spiritually helpless this morning. Do you think of yourselves helpless without Christ? Well, I want to end today by letting Ralph Esquivel, leader of our addictions ministry called TAG, share some of his story with us this morning as God has worked mightily in his life. And he wants to share with us how he became porn spirit and how he continues today to be porn spirit. So let's give Ralph a warm welcome as he comes up here. Good morning, church. Thank you, Terry, for that powerful teaching and kind introduction. As Terry mentioned, my name is Ralph Esquivel, and I am the facilitator of the addictions ministry. I would like to call it a guide to personal transformation through Scripture. We meet every Monday at 6.30 in the well, and we're there for about an hour, and we would love to have any of you join us. For those who don't know, it is not a 12-step program. And we are not trying to take the place of any. Now I'm going to try to explain how I became poor in spirit. First, let me tell you that most of my life was characterized by selfishness. I was, in essence, full of myself, which is the opposite of being poor in spirit, as Terry mentioned. Before God's rescue, I thought I was a good husband, father, and employer, and I considered myself better than others. 
I was raised with the idea that self-sufficiency mattered most. I live by these words. I might not always be right, but I'm never wrong. My theme song could have been My Way by Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. No, I'm not going to sing it. Um, Terry did a great job of describing me in all of his examples of a self-focused life. I especially like the part where he talked about high self-esteem and low self-esteem and them both being equally self-centered. Let's get back to my story. <laughs> one, fine, one fine day, my wife decided to tell me she wanted a divorce. And I thought to myself, are you kidding me after all I've done for you? At the time, I didn't realize that I was not a good husband because I put drugs, work, material things, and other people above my wife and children. I continued to live in denial uh, as my pride and ego reigned supreme in my life. So my family moved out. I sat in solitary, going completely out of my mind. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, I was feeling sorry for myself, you know, poor me, right? I was wondering how my wife could do this to a nice guy like me. I didn't know it at the time, but through trials and my sinful lifestyle, God began to draw me in various ways. God had people call me. He placed, me into, you know, placed people into my life, and God even led me into this church. Um, let me back up a minute and explain that five months earlier, I met someone from this church, you know, and he invited me to come. He said he could hold a seat for me. I asked him, of course, what kind of church is it? He answered, and immediately I thought to myself, there's no way in heck I'm ever going to that church. I must confess that I actually used another word, but Terry said I had to tone it down. So we'll leave it at heck and move forward. My response to the offer was, thanks, but I'm Catholic. <laughs> As you can see, God had a different plan. I continued in despair and fell into depression to the point of being homicidal. I actually thought I wanted to kill someone. In desperation, I finally reached out to the friend who invited me to church. <laughs> he told me he would hold a seat for me. That was pretty crazy. Somehow, I, this was the beginning of realizing that I was lost and broken. And somehow I knew God was the answer. I came to the family church to try to understand God. I wanted to know what it, was, what it meant to turn my will and life over to his care. And to my amazement, I saw on these big screens... These hands with the word will in the center of them. And the sermon was on how to turn my will and life over to the care of God. Go figure, you know. I got to tell you, I've been coming here almost five years. And I haven't seen those hands or heard the same message since that day. Hmm. I heard exactly what I needed to hear that day. And it was the good news about Christ. I knew for the first time that I had been rejecting God. I needed to be emptied of myself and turned to Christ. And poor in spirit means to me that I had to die to self and turn to Christ in faith and repentance. And this is where I have total forgiveness of sin, past and present and future. Now I realize that in this process, I can do nothing without Christ. My poverty of spirit becomes more evident as I grow and mature in Christ. I am so thankful for God's grace, His patience and love in my life. Hmm. 
He pulled me out of the darkness of self-centeredness and into the light of spiritual helplessness. That's poor in spirit. Hmm. This is now where I pray I'll stay, dependent on Christ. And I would like to end with this scripture. It's Second Peter 1, 2. And it says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And I thank you for all your support as we are one body, the body of Christ. Thank you. Amen. Thanks, Ralph, for that. Would you stand as we close? And as we close, if you have a need in your life or you'd like to know more about beginning a relationship with the Lord, Pastor Terry will be right up front here, and Pastor Casey will be in the back, and you just grab one of them, and they'd love to talk with you and pray with you, whatever needs you might have in your life. Um, We're going to close with this scripture from Ephesians. It says, Now unto him who is able to do more abundantly than all we could ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.